Now let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your love. And Lord, as Peter's prayed this morning, we just want to receive this morning, Lord God. We want to get something of you in our life. So Father, I just pray right now that your word would be alive as it always is and powerful as it always is, Father God. That it would be sharp and quick. And Lord, it would just bring us life today. We just thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've been looking at a relationship which will be going on for a few months in different forms over the last month or so and just about how God has always wanted to have a relationship with us. He's wanted to invite us into the love relationship that he has, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, that love relationship, the same relationship that he had with Adam and Eve when he created the world, that they were brought into that relationship where they could walk with God in the cool of the evening in the garden, that they could hear from him. And how he has invited us into that. Um, And how Jesus lived his life on earth, righteous, never once sinning, never doing anything wrong. He obeyed every part of the law and he did it all for us. So that we, in Christ, are now counted righteous. Now, this morning I just wanted to speak a little bit about the cross. Because that relationship that we have to the cross, we'll call it the cross, it's really to Jesus, is probably, well, I'd say definitely, the pivotal point of our faith. There is no other point in history that is so important, that is so amazing, that is so vital to us. Because this is the point where Jesus made the sacrifice for our sin. This is the the place where it took place on the cross that our sin was somehow dealt with, that the sin that we had was imputed or given to Jesus. He took care of it. His righteousness, in other words, that life he lived, and that's why we talked about that last week, that it's so important, the life he lived was perfect. And at that cross, that amazing, the beautiful exchange took place His righteousness for our sin. Isn't that amazing? And the cross needs to be understood. The cross needs to be examined. The the cross, like I say, it's that place where where our life got transformed, where we became eligible to be the sons and daughters of God, where we became righteous in Christ Jesus, where our sins were taken from us. Not only that, At that point, new life could then begin in us as death came. And what I want to do is just spend a little bit of time um, just in Isaiah 52. So if you could turn there in your Bibles, Isaiah 52. And I just want to examine some of the words that uh, are discussed in this passage. There's such a powerful passage about the death of Christ. There's no doubt that this is talking about Jesus. There's 300 prophecies at least that talk of Jesus in the future and he met every single one of those prophecies. There's no one else who could have done that. And so we're going to read a little bit about the cross today from the Old Testament. Now that's just amazing in itself that there was a prophetic voice that spoke of the time when Christ would come, Christ would die and he would do it for us. But what I want to do this morning is just look at the completeness of that work the completeness of the work in the cross, okay? 
And then I'm going to talk a little bit about our response to that because there is a response that's required. There is a repentance that needs to be made. But what is repentance? How do we get to that point? How do we come to the point of saying, yeah, well, actually, I do need him in my life. So let's start reading. Isaiah 52. Sorry, I'll start from Isaiah 52, verse 13, and then I'll go into 53. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so defigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence, for they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. Who has believed our message? To who has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender shoot, like a root in dry ground. There is nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He is despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. So out of that passage, you have a look at that. This is what Christ did for us. You'll see so many little references in there, and you're saying, yeah, that was Jesus. He was cut down in the middle of his life, about 30, 33. He had no descendants. He was never married, never had kids. He wasn't anything beautiful to look at. It doesn't say he was ugly, but there's nothing remarkable about him. But his beauty came from within. It was a shoot out of dry ground, out of something that was unremarkable, out of a place in the world that was nothing, came the saviour, came the green shoot out of the dry ground. He was despised and rejected. He was pierced. And on the cross we see that. The nails in the hands and the feet, the spear in his side. He never said a word and and when Jesus was examined before Pontius Pilate, they said he was silent. He didn't say anything. He didn't defend himself because he knew what he was going to do was actually to defend us before God, to stand before God and plead for us. 
that his blood will be shed for our forgiveness, that our sins, though they were scarlet, could be made as white as snow, that our rebellion against God could be forgiven and now we could walk in fellowship with the Father again. And he didn't open his mouth. He didn't say, this is unjust. He didn't say, I don't deserve this. He didn't say, look, I've done nothing wrong. And and again, through that passage, we see it again there. He didn't do anything wrong. Never once sinned. And yet all this was God's good plan. It was God's good plan that he accomplished in Jesus Christ. It was God's good plan that this event would happen because God didn't want just one descendant. He wanted a whole lot. And as we read through that, it talks about how even though he died without descendants, yet he'll have many because Jesus Christ is the firstborn of many, firstborn of many sons and daughters of God. And we today who are Christians are privileged to be those sons and to be those daughters. We are now brought into that family, as we've talked about as well, that that relationship of God being our father, not as a distant dad, not as a dad who goes off and and stands far off and looks over his sons and daughters, but a dad that has daily contact, that has a heart of love, that is forever waiting for his children to come home. A father that is Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. A father that says, you can come into my presence, you can come and you can talk to me, you can pray to me face to face. I've ripped the veil and this is the event in which that happened. When Jesus died, we've read it so many times that the veil was ripped, the Holy of Holies was open and now we could enter in because we are counted as righteous. We are the ones who God looks at and says, They are righteous because of the blood of my other son, the firstborn among many, Jesus Christ, who died for them. It was Jesus' choice to go to that cross. No one forced him to, no one made him, but he said, I want to do what my father wants, and he worked for our salvation. But what does that mean? We all know that there's a forgiveness for sin that comes from this death. But what else can we get from that death on the cross? You see, when we read through that passage, there's, there's words that, that might jump out at us. And I just want to read it out in the New King James because this is where we're going to do a little bit of a word study. From 53.4 to 53.8. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened on his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so open not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. What does the cross mean for us? What does it mean for us? Because if we can understand what the cross was accomplishing... 
It is going to change the way you think. It is going to change your Christian life. We know that salvation is a continuing thing, don't we? We've talked about that before, that we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. There's a continuation of salvation happening in our life. And so many of these things that we're going to look at, you've got to think about it. and You've got to say, well, if this is what God wants for me, how can I start to walk in them? How can I start to pursue those things or how can I receive them? When I was young, about four, in fact, I think it was on my fourth birthday, we had a car crash in Papua New Guinea, which is why we, we came back to Australia. And it was reasonably horrific, I guess. Um, my sister went through the windscreen, had cuts on her head. I had cuts to the side of my face. Mum had a broken leg and pelvis and all sorts of things. Dad and my other sister were unharmed. A guy had gone through a red light and hit us. Now, later on, when we'd moved to Australia, and I reckon I was probably about 16, something like that, Dad said to me, you know that there's some money that's available to you because of that accident. And I was like, what? He said, yeah. What happened over there? You had the motor accidents, compensation sort of thing, and they put money away. And, and so when I was 18, I think, I was eligible for that money. I was either 18 or 16, can't remember exactly. So what I had to do then was, you know, Papua New Guinea being Papua New Guinea, I was sort of like, well, good luck getting that money. <laughs> You know, I didn't really have much faith in the system over there. However, I rang the Papua New Guinea Embassy in Canberra, talked to them, and they put me onto someone else. I wrote to the department. And I got a letter back saying that I was eligible for some money when I turned 18, and they had it still. Hooray. <laughs> I think it was about $10,000 or something. I can't remember the exact amount, but around about that. What's the point of that story? The point of the story is this, that sometimes we have stuff that belongs to us that we will never get unless we ask for it. I could be 42 or 43, I can't remember how old I am (laughs) right now, but around about that age. Young at heart. I'll just say I'm young at heart. And that money could be sitting somewhere in Papua New Guinea right now. And guess what? It does me no good at all. There's not, if it was that way, there's not one cent of that that I can use. You see, you can die starving and have a million dollars in the bank. And so what I want to do with what we're going to talk about right now is start to think, what is it that God has done for us? What is it that I'm ignorant about, that I'm not reaching out for and saying, God, perhaps, maybe, I can actually reach out and grab what is mine. Not in a forceful way, not in a selfish way. But we've got to understand this, that this is what God did for us because he loves us. And whatever he makes available to us is not because we deserve it. It's not because we demand it. But it's because he has a heart that is so loving and good and pure and true that he wants to look after his children. And this event, the cross on which Jesus Christ died, is that point where, where this exchange was made. And we're going to look at a couple of those words and I want you to think, in my life, have I got the fullness of God yet? Have I reached out for the promises of God? 
not the demands of me, but the promises that God has for me. Because we have to attain the promises by what? Faith. We have to attain them by faith. We, we read uh, a couple of weeks ago that, that from the beginning to the end, it is all faith. It's all faith. It's about me trusting and believing in this God who loved me and believing and accepting that he actually is for me and not against me and letting him love me, letting him love me. So let's have a look at a few of those things that Jesus Christ died for, for us. Surely he has borne our griefs. What does that mean? That word griefs is this, our sickness, our disease and our grief. Pain, sorrow, pain physical and pain mental. He has borne that on the cross. Are you struggling in your mind? Have you trouble in your mind? Have you trouble in your body? Jesus died for that. Have you have a grief that's overwhelming? Jesus died for that. He bore our griefs. He took them upon himself. Our transgression. He took upon him our rebellion, our nature that was against God, our nature that was against other people, our nature that was even against other nations. He took that. He bore that on the cross. Sorry, we go back. Sorrow is pain or sorrow, physical or mental pain. Grief was sickness, disease and grief. Iniquity. He took on the iniquity that we had, our perversity, our depravity, our guilt, the way we lived our life away from God. Jesus Christ took the punishment for that. He took the consequence of the punishment for our nature. When you think about those things there, you're almost like, well, that's enough, isn't it? That's enough. You mean Jesus really did that for me? Yes, he did. He didn't just die for your sin and then you can live this life of, of sorrow and grief and pain. He died to free you. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. What does that mean? You see, from the beginning, when Adam sinned, there was a, a lack of peace anymore. And we see that because Adam hid from God. He didn't have a confidence before God. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. What is chastisement? That's like a punishment, the the, the result of what has happened, if I do something wrong, then I'm chastised. It's like my kids, the poor things when I get into a role. And I'm nag, nag, nag and, you know, making my point. I'll go away, come back and make it again. There's no peace. <laughs> but that chastisement was taken by Jesus on the cross. What is peace? Listen to this. Because if you can grab hold of this, 
And I think Viv brought it out a little while ago. Had a communion message. Peace is this, completeness, soundness, welfare, completeness, safety and soundness in body, health, prosperity, tranquility, contentment, friendship, not just of God-man relationship but of human relationships. But it's a peace with God in covenant relationship. A peace from war and that will come, that day when Jesus comes back and we're asked to turn our weapons into plowshares. Have you got those things in your life? And it's not just talking about our mental being. It's talking about our physical wellness, our health, our prosperity even. Do you understand that poverty is not a blessing, it's a curse? And that's why we want to give to poor people, to nations that are in poverty, to lift them out of that. It's debilitating, it's disempowering, it's damaging. People starve to death because they have no money. It's not a good thing. And peace also brings a prosperity. By his stripes we are healed. That means we're made healthful. We're full of health. He heals nations. He heals the hurts in nations. You, you can even see it in our nation. Where you see group rise up against group, but he can heal that. Heals us of personal distress. And he justifies us. He makes us righteous. He makes us righteous in conduct and character. Why? Because God loves us. And Jesus came to do those things for us. So we look at those promises and we ask ourselves that question, what have I got today? Can I tell you right now you have all of that? And you might say, well, I don't because I'm sick, because I'm emotionally um, upset, because things aren't going right in my life. Yes, you do. They're yours if you want to get them. And you attain them by faith, by believing what God has promised. They're there. It's like that money in New Guinea. It was there. But I couldn't get it till I asked, till I, till I accessed that money. And I had to go through the right people, didn't I? Excuse me. You see, the way of that money was for me to ring someone who knew about that place, to ring Canberra, to ring the embassy and find out from the representative of the Papua New Guinea government what I had to do. And in the same way, God has opened up the way for us through Jesus Christ to enter into the promises of God. It's only through Jesus Christ. This is the only way. You see, I could have gone to one of my mates at school and said, hey, uh, can you get my money from New Guinea? What do I have to do? They would have looked at me like this. What are you talking about? There's only one way to God. And that is through Jesus Christ. And it's through this cross that held him high. 
the place where he was pierced for us. And the amazing thing is that we are now invited into that relationship. Anyone who believes, anyone, there's no exception, there's no, no rules or regulations about who can access it except for one rule, that you must do it. The only thing that stops any person having access to Christ is that person themselves. God has opened that way through Jesus Christ. And what you will find is this, that it is goodness of God that starts to work in your heart. When you understand how good God is, repentance comes to your life. It's not because of his judgment that we repent. Think about this for a minute. When you think about God, if you think of him as a judge, a cruel, hard master, how's your response to him going to be? You might do the right thing. You might stop doing the wrong thing because you're afraid of punishment. But when you understand God's goodness in what he's done, there's a repentance that starts to happen in your heart. And I pray today that his Holy Spirit will just move on you and show you how good he is. Romans 2 verse 4 says this, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Paul is writing here to a church and he's written a harsh letter that's telling him some home truths. But what he says is this, what the key is that you understand how good God is towards you because that makes you Come to a place of repentance. And you might be made sorry for a while when your sin's exposed in your life, but it's only exposed because of God's goodness. Even the law itself, when the Bible talks about the law or the rules, it says the law's good. Nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's perfect. If you read Psalm 119, in your spare time. It talks so much about God's word being good and, and like light and rich to my soul. It's a treasure that I need to, to grab and attain. But what's not good is us. What's not good is our attitude towards God. But then when we start to think about the cross and, the, and what God's saying there, like, hey, guys, I want you to be healthy and well. I want you to have a sound mind. I, I want you to have peace. I want you to have good friendships with people and with God. And you're like, wow. So you mean you're not out to punish me. You're out to actually bring me into a relationship that has so many benefits. When God starts to work on your heart that way, it's almost like you weep inside and you go, wow, I am so bad. Not because God has pointed out your faults, but because he's shown how good he is. He has shown how good he is. And that's when our heart breaks. This is true repentance. Our heart breaks because we understand that we are just not good. But God is so good. And we begin to think, 
how can such a good God even want me to be in his family? I'll just read another little passage and I'll just expand on that a little bit. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 to 11. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to 11. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what cleaning of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. What's this saying? What it's saying is this, there's two types of repentance or two types of sorrow that lead to repentance. One sorrow is triggered by the goodness of God. And our sorrow is not that we got caught. Our sorrow is not that if other people see what I've done, I'll be embarrassed. Our sorrow is not because my wife walked out on me or my husband walked out on me because I was just a scoundrel or I was mean-hearted. And I'm so sorry because they're gone. Godly sorrow is this, I am so sorry I did what I did. It's about the change in your heart. And that is the only sorrow that can lead to repentance. Because if our sorrow is based on all those things, what, what we would say is the... Uh, a worldly sorrow. We are never get any fruit in our life. We are never going to get true obedience to God because we are not in that place of understanding God's goodness. And when you understand that it is goodness of God that is leading to your repentance, when your sorrow starts to become about yourself, not, I'm so sorry I did the wrong thing because this was the consequence, but I'm so sorry because I just want God's goodness in my life and he's paved the way and you want to reach out for it. It produces a totally different type of fruit in your life. And that verse 2 Corinthians 7, 11, when it starts to talk about the fruit of godly sorrow, the repentance from godly sorrow, this could change your life forever. Because when you're sorry because you got caught, you have no desire to change your way. You have no desire to live for God. When you're sorry because you're afraid of the punishment, you might live for God, but it's not out of a heart that, that belongs to him. When I read these words, I'm thinking, wow. You mean I can live this type of Christian life? When I get before God and I ask him about myself, Observe this very thing, you saw it in a godly manner. Listen to the fruit. This is what it produces in your life. Number one, diligence. Clearing, as in cleaning of your, of your life. 
indignation against sin. A fear, a fear of God and what what he stands for, a vehement desire, a zeal for God, a vindication. You know that God justifies you. Do you want that kind of Christian life where you've just got such a desire for God and a zeal to pursue him, a zeal to take his promises and make them yours? Can I just say to this, this to you, spend some time before God. Get yourself to that place where repentance comes when you understand the goodness of God. And you might say, well, right now I don't think that I have the right to enter in to his presence because of how I am. I just want to give you a little example of how God works. You see, you might be here today and you've got things in your life you're thinking, I need to get rid of those things, but I'm not going to come to God because I'm embarrassed or because I'm afraid of him. Jesus gives a, a picture of what it's like to enter into God's presence. He talks about a person coming to the temple to give a sacrifice. And he says, when you're at the altar with your sacrifice and you remember that somebody has something against you, leave your sacrifice there, go out, settle it with that person, then come back and offer your sacrifice. What's Jesus saying here? Is he saying this is a work you need to do? Not at all. If it was that, then it would have been outside the temple, it would have been outside the sacrifice. It may even be this morning that you've come to church and you know that somebody's got something against you. Now, this isn't talking about you being unforgiving. This is about you having wronged someone, isn't it? Because how could you remember that someone has something against you if you haven't wronged them? Does that make sense? What's happening here is that because this person has entered into God's sanctuary... And they've desired to give a sacrifice. God has spoken to them. And what he's done is show them something in their life that they need to get right. And he doesn't say, look, I don't want your sacrifice. It's not good for you to be here. What he says is this, you need to go and make it right. And then bring your sacrifice. Because what he's saying is, I want your heart to be repentant. I want you to be clean in this place, but not because if you don't do it, I'm going to smash you. (laughs) But he's saying, I want you to be here and offer this sacrifice. You've come in in a bad way. But what I want you to do is fix things up and enter in the right way. Now, if that person did not go and offer that sacrifice to start with, there is no way that he would have thought, I've wronged that person and I need to get it right. And the point for us is this, don't delay. Get into God's presence because when you do, his kindness and goodness comes to you. Your heart begins to change as you pray, as you seek God and you're saying, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive me my sins as I forgive others. Well, wait a minute. Oh, I better start forgiving. Lord, I'm just praying for your goodness to come to me. 
Lord, for my goodness to be full in your life, this is what I want you to do. His kindness, his goodness, because you've entered in, is now leading to an act which is of faith because you've come to God with a sacrifice and your sacrifice may be very well just yourself that you bring before him and you say, God, show me where I'm wrong. God, show me where I'm weak so that I can go and make it right. And out of that presence of God, the fullness flows. Now, the worst thing you can do, the very, very worst thing you can do is if you've missed it with God, is to stay out of his presence. The very worst thing you can do. Now, we know God's everywhere, but we understand the difference between living in his presence and not, don't we, as Christians? We know there's times when we just feel like we've, we've turned our back on God and we're not walking in his blessing, his presence, what he has for us. And other times when we're seeking God, we're drawing close to him because the Bible says if you draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. This is covenant relationship and it's based on our response to him, based on our response to him. He's forever reaching out, but as we reach to him, he reaches to the deep things of our heart and if you want change in your Christian life, you need to do it. And you might be the worst Christian in your own mind ever, done the worst things, been the most horrible person, and you're thinking, I can't get to God. No, you need to go to God. You need to get into that place where you're offering a sacrifice and you're saying, God, I don't have anything to give you, but what little I have I'm bringing right now. I'll tell you what, as soon as you do that, you humble your heart and you start to pray, God starts to move not only in your life, in the life of your church, in the life of your community, in the life of your nation. Because God says, if you humble yourself and pray, I will come and heal your land. I'll come and heal your land. He'll bring revival. But that revival starts with you personally. And from this cross that Jesus died on, everything flows that we need. Everything that we need comes through that cross. So today as you start to think about relationship, this is so vital because if God has made that way for us to even have peace with other men, as we start to look at other relationships in marriage and church and friendships and work relationships, if you do not have your basis of relationship having a foundation in Christ, what he's done for you, And the next thing is the resurrection because that's just awesome. But if you don't base it in that, how can you really love another person if God's love's not flowing through you? How can you really forgive unless you've been forgiven? How can you do it? You can't. And so what I say to you is this, make the relationship with God the number one thing in your life. Because if you get that right, it automatically flows to every other part of life. Automatically. And part of that is getting to that place where repentance comes in our heart. Don't you think if we actually spend some time with God, 
and let him sort us out, it would change your relationships? Don't you think that's possible? In fact, don't you think that's inevitable? Because where does the wars and fights come from? It's from your own selfish desires, your own jealousies. And when we come to that altar and bring ourselves, he deals with us and our selfish desires and he transforms our heart of stone into that heart of flesh. Now, we're just going to have communion now. And as, as we think about those things, can we have that handed out, please? As we take communion today, we understand that the grape juice that we drink represents the blood of Jesus Christ. That blood was shed for us and for many for the remission of sin. And the bread represents the broken body of Christ which is broken for you. And we can say today that all the things that were accomplished on the cross actually do belong to us. We might not be walking fully in them, but I'll tell you what, they do belong to us. These are God's promises to us. I'll just read through them again for you. Freedom from sickness, disease, grief, he took them on him. Freedom from pain and sorrow, physical and mental. Freedom from the rebellion that we had against God. Freedom from our bad human nature, the perversity, the depravity. Freedom from the guilt that comes along with that. Freedom from the consequence or punishment for our sin. How awesome is that? That is just amazing. We have completeness, soundness, safety, health, prosperity, tranquility, contentment, friendship with humans and with God. We've been healed. He's healed the hurts of nations. As, and as God establishes his kingdom on earth through the church, we are to help heal the nations to bring God to our community. We've been made righteous. We've been caused to be in the right, justified. We've been made just in righteous in conduct and character. Been made right with God. All those things belong to us. All those things. Why? Not because we deserve them. Not because we demand them. But this is the heart of a loving father to his children. So this morning I just encourage you to start on that journey of faith. I don't know where you are in that. What can you believe for? What do you want to believe for? But reach out, stretch out. And ask God for these things that belong to you. Just give you a while to reflect while the rest is being handed out and just think about yourself. Is there some place you need to repent in your heart knowing that it's God's goodness that works in your life? Just close your eyes and think. Just ask God to show you.
those areas that need change because he's willing to help you. But a heart that is yielded is the only heart that God can work in. Father, we just thank you for this blood of Jesus. We thank you for this body. Lord, you gave us so much. Father, just cleanse us. Make us whole. In Jesus' name. Let's take and eat and drink together. Remember what Christ has done for you. Get the uh, musicians out when they're ready. And um, as you're worshipping here at the end today, I just encourage you to do is if you know that there's someone that you really need to say sorry to, straight after today, go and ring them up, go and see them and say I'm sorry. You know, it's so powerful, honestly. Like, (laughs) how many times in relationships, especially marriage, do we have this sort of place where we're struggling against each other and one person just says, look, I'm really sorry. Doesn't it just dissolve so much pain? Doesn't it dissolve so much argument? Because there's nothing to argue anymore. It's just like, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Now, of course, there's the other side of that, but we're, we're looking at us. But how many times does that dissolve things when you say sorry? Um, I put on on the Facebook a little while ago when I was in at Kulalinga car park and I pulled into a car park next minute, screeching at tyres, bloke jumps out of the car and swearing at me, he took my parking place, blah, 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 blah. And I said, nothing. Walked <laughs> past him, um, just said, look, mate, didn't know it was yours, went inside and I saw him again in there and I just said, I saw him down an aisle and I thought, what do, what do you want me to do, God? You know, do I just walk away, don't worry about it? And God said, no, just go and say sorry. Now he says that through the Holy Spirit, also his word. We know how we're meant to conduct ourselves. And I just said, mate, I'm really sorry. I honestly didn't think you were going to park there. Um, I just went in there. He shook my hand. He looked a bit teary. He said, I've had such a hard day. It was just like the icing on the cake, and he said, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have reacted that way. And um, don't you think that's good? From a bad day, the guy went home, not finishing on the note of some scumbag, took my car park and we had a big fight, but on the note of someone went into my car space, said sorry, and it was all right. Instead of thinking about that all night, about what could have been, he's just... It's given a freedom, you know what I mean? And sorry is a big word. Say say it really quickly. It's not that big, but (laughs) maybe we need to write it longer. But it's a big word in context, all right? 
And it can bring peace to situations that don't need to be conflict. If you want prayer for anything, come out as we sing. Um, if you don't, that's fine as well. But really search your heart and just think. Don't make it a witch hunt, but God will bring things to you like that. And you'll know straight away if you need to say sorry to someone. Um, just challenge you today, encourage you, go and do it. And just see what God might do through that.